Welcome back to Become a Calm Mama. I'm your host, I'm Darlin Childress, and I want to talk today about sibling squabbles. And really, I wanted to bring this up because it's summertime and kids are off school. And I noticed that what happens to moms in the summer is we spend a lot of time thinking about this time and and the family time that we have with our kids over the summer. And, you know, we kind of plan really fun activities and we're going to do, you know, the snack bag and take them to the beach or the pool or, you know, carnivals and road trips and camping and all of the big adventures that you have in your mind as a mom. And you do all the work, you do all the planning, do all the prepping, you get all the sunblock on, you get everybody out the door in the car. And then the next thing you know, your kids are fighting and you get to the location and they're fighting and they're arguing and they're, um, you know, don't look at me like that. Stop touching me. I'm not touching you. You stop touching me. You know, and there's just this battle going on either in the back seat or in the parking lot or in your own living room or at the kitchen table on the deck, right? And it's so hard as a mom because you've planned this fun day or you just want things to be easy and you're with them all day long and you just look at them and you're like, are you kidding me? How are you guys fighting again? Do you relate? (laughs) Um, For some of you who might be listening who don't have more than one child, you might see this with like a cousin or a friend that they spend a lot of time with in the summer. But most of the time, our kids reserve all of their negative feelings and their difficult behavior and they dump it on their sibling. And this happens oftentimes on the way to something and on the way home from something. Um, It's a... It's hard. So I kind of want you to know, first of all, you're totally normal. Like I wouldn't do a podcast episode on a topic if it was so niche specific that very few people experienced it. I am doing a podcast episode on sibling squabbles in the summer because it's a constant problem for so many parents. So in this episode, I want to help you understand sort of why, like what's happening. I find, and I hope you find this helpful. I find it really helpful when I understand why something is happening, it gives me some emotional freedom from like guilt or responsibility or, and also helps me think clearly about the solutions. Like if I know why my kids are fighting, then when I create a limit or I, you know, create a new rhythm or routine, it is with that idea of like, oh, this is the problem I'm solving, right? So I want to help you understand why you're having these sibling struggles so that you feel less guilty about it, less overwhelmed, and then also have more clarity when you go to solve the problems. So I'm going to help you understand why your kids fight. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the typical responses that moms do and and dads too, but mostly moms and, or the default parent, I should say. And the, you know, how we respond and what, why those um, responses create more problems. Like you're trying to do some parenting that you think is helpful and good. And then you're like, what the hell am I still, why do I still have so many problems? Why are they still fighting? Ah, right. So kind of how we respond and sort of what you're doing that might be creating more problems for yourselves. 
and then what to do instead. So I'm hoping, obviously, you know, I aim these episodes to be about 30 minutes. And so like solving sibling stuff in 30 minutes isn't really possible. But I believe that this episode will help you kind of go like, ah, okay, I get what's happening here. I get how I am contributing to it and have some, you know, some new tools and in how to respond. So let's get into it. Yeah. All right. Why do kids fight? They, your kids in general, they have less capacity to self-regulate, to manage their emotions in the summer. It is just a different pace, a different rhythm. So when you take your children out of the school schedule, they end up having less routine, right? So they kind of don't know what they're supposed to be doing at any given time. And so then that shows up in their behavior because when you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, you get a little more restless, you get a little bit more uncomfortable, and then you dump that discomfort onto your brother or your sister. So in the summer, there's less routines. And so that is going to be one of the reasons why it's harder for kids to to regulate, right? The school rhythm, the school routine, you guys get up, you get breakfast, you go out the door, they go to school, the school day is pretty regulated, they get picked up at the same time, they kind of do the same thing every afternoon or they know what Tuesdays are and Wednesdays are. Your kids, that predictable rhythm is actually very soothing. And when you you take them out of that rhythm, it's fun, it's interesting, every day's a little bit different, but that creates dysregulation. So that's one of the reasons why. The other thing is I want you to understand that the the summer is much more physical than the school year. During the school year, kids, even preschoolers, like they're indoors, they're learning their letters, right? They have um, circle time, they're in class, they're indoors, they're, um, you know, they have to sit quietly and listen to the teacher and they're not moving their bodies that much which is a problem in the school year, right? It's why we get, you know, they we get the kids and they we pick them up from somewhere, you know, from school and they're like completely like, you know, Tasmanian devils. But sort of the flip in the summer is that your kids are using their bodies so much, which I love and is amazing, but it is exhausting. They're at the pool, they're at the lake, they're at the ocean, they're, you know, at day camp that's mostly outside. We, we've talked about that last week. It's like, they're more tired and then they're not getting as much sleep. They're getting a little bit more sugar, which is not a problem. But when you eat more sugar, sometimes you're not eating the sustaining fats and proteins that you need to keep your body, you know, with a lot of energy. And so we have our kids sleeping less, eating differently. The rhythm is different. They're moving their bodies more. So they're going to have more trouble staying calm. The other thing that comes with all this extra downtime, like unscheduled time, is boredom. So a lot of times your kids are understimulated in the summer. They're, they're restless. They're bored. They don't know what to be doing. We have our kids in so many activities and, and so much structure during the school year that they don't really know what to do with unstructured time. And then they get dysregulated. In the summer, besides sort of the end of the school year and, you know, end of the rhythm and the more physical is you also just have a higher expectation for your kids in terms of traveling. 
right? They're in, they're on long car rides. They are, you know, waiting at airports. They're, they're, you've, you've decided to go to carnivals or museums or things like that. And so then they're waiting in line or they're, you know, waiting their turn. There's a lot more waiting in around your family, around your siblings. So your kids are restless. They're, they're bored. They're tired. You know, they're, they have unstructured time. And all of this leads to sort of a dysregulation, a difficulty self-regulating. Now, what, why am I bringing self-regulation up, dysregulation up? Why am I even talking about it? Let me tell you, when your kids need to regulate their emotions, when they need to balance it out or express some emotion, some discomfort that's going on inside their body, dumping it on their, uh, on their sibling dumping that excess energy, that excess feeling, that discomfort, when they start bugging their sibling and poking them or saying like, you know, stop looking at me or splashing them in the pool, it's actually a coping strategy for stress and dysregulation. It's a way to get some stimulation if they're bored. It's a way to get connection if they're feeling disconnected. It's a way to express their discomfort, their frustration. So thinking of, we have all the the coping strategies that kids use when they are overwhelmed, right? They, They spit, they kick, they yell, they complain, they do all that. One of their strategies is dumping their big feelings onto their sibling. And then the sibling's like, oh, yeah, cool, okay, I'm ready to tango too, you know? And then all of a sudden, you've got two or three or four kids all sort of, you know, arguing and conflict, and they're taking sides, and they're teaming up, and it is a game for them, and so it's a little bit of fun, and it feels good. It feels good for them to blow off their steam and, you know, create a conflict with their sibling, So understanding that, I hope will help you realize that when your kids are misbehaving, it's not because they're bad or you're a bad mom or, you know, that you've, you know, you've done a a bad job or something like that, or like they're rotten people inside. It's just stress and dysregulation showing up in that relationship. Sibling relationship is very safe. It's an easy place to poke fun, to dump, to create conflict It's like having an old married couple, you know, where they're just bickering all the time. And, or, you know, if you have your relationship with your partner and you're overwhelmed or whatever, and you start to like kind of pick a little bit of a fight and it, it doesn't, it's not great, but it does help sort of relieve some of that tension. So I want you to see the sibling squabble as tension being released. Now, the other couple of factors that happen in the summer besides, you know, the rhythm and routine being changed and the physicality of it all is that that your kids are used to having some sort of rhythm and times like how they connect with you. Like maybe you have two drop-offs and so you drop off one and then you drop off the other and they're used to having that 20 minutes alone or you have a preschooler and they're used to having, you know, an earlier pickup Um, or they have only three days uh, a week that they go to school and they're sibling goes to school five days and now all of a sudden they've lost this connection time with you or you usually have them sleeping you know where you put one to bed and then the other to bed whatever your normal rhythm is there's probably some built-in time where you connect with each kid one-on-one 
And in the summer, what happens is we oftentimes that we don't even realize that we had that built-in one-on-one time and that it's missing. But our kids, they do recognize that it's missing. They miss us, even though we're spending so much time with them, right? So that's the other factor is in the summer, you're burned out. It's too much time with kids. It's just like annoying, right? And so, and then your kids are just spending so much time together. So they're just like, you know, what do they say? Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? So when there's no absence, I don't know what the opposite of fonder is, fondless, <laughs> right? So we end up spending a lot of time together. We get burned out on each other. You're burned out. Um, your kids are not connecting with you. They're physically exhausted and they're, they're, over, they're understimulated. Routine is gone. So all of this just leads to more sibling squabbles. Now, what, how do we respond? What happens? Typically, you like kind of ignore it until it escalates, right? That's a great coping strategy for you mamas is just to be like, whatever, I don't care. I actually do teach to like allow sibling conflict to, you know, run its course a little bit, not intervene. But what I notice in the summer is that you're burned out and you might need to intervene a little bit sooner, but you kind of don't give a shit. And so you let it go until it escalates. And then all of a sudden you have a huge problem. And so when that happens, then you kind of go into that yell threat mode and, you know, create all that extra stress, which kind of helps in the short term, to be honest, because you shut down that conflict and your kids get scared of you. But in many ways, you're just putting a lid on a boiling pot of water and it will boil over again. So looking at your own behavior and recognizing like, yeah, I want you to like allow and ignore and let things um, go, but I want you to be paying attention, not completely emotionally checked out and disconnected because your kids are going to sense that you don't care, that you're not paying attention and they're going to escalate it because what they're seeking in that behavior is regulation. They want support. They want to feel better. They need some help. So I don't want you to take on every, uh, every problem. That's another habit that moms have is they become the solver for all the kids conflict. And, you know, your kids are starting to rely on you to be the referee and that that's exhausting for you. And it creates more long-term, your kids need you to always solve their problems. So there's like this fine balance that I'm going to help you see is that I, instead of just ignoring until it escalates and then you pop, and, you know, shut them down and try to and threaten them. Like, we're not going to go to the pool if you guys don't stop fighting. But you know you're still going to the pool. Like, that's an empty threat. It's not helpful. But then it might get your kids to, like, short-term kind of shut up, right? That's a terrible word. But you know what I mean? Like, quiet down and, and like, get it together. But then the next thing you know, you're at the pool and they're, like, fighting. It's a giant pool and they're fighting over who jumps in at that one spot right? It's because they haven't actually had that situation resolved for them. So there's this fine line between, you know, ignoring until it escalates and then yelling and threatening versus paying attention and stepping in, in a way that is actually helpful and solves the emotional situation and, and helps your kids feel better so that they show up better. 
the, you cannot take on every problem. It is exhausting and it's not serving your kids. So when you do intervene, I want you to intervene in the way that I teach you in this episode in just a few minutes. The other two things that I see that moms do that create more problems is like protecting the victim. This is a common, common um, strategy is like, oh, you know, you have two kids and one's poking the other and one's hitting the other and you go to the one that's getting hurt and you say, oh, are they hurting you? Are you okay? Yeah, he's not being nice right now, is he? He's, he's being kind of mean to you. And we sort of like um, shame the aggressor by co- coaxing the victim. It's not even genuine for the victim. It's almost to model that like that the, oh, the aggressor is hurting the other one and like they're not being nice. That creates so much disconnection in the kid who was being aggressive in the first place. You really want to be going to the one whose behavior is demonstrating emotional needs, right? The kid who's hitting or spitting or punching or throwing or, you know, pushing them off or making fun of the other kid, whatever the one that's creating the problem, whoever that is, that's who needs the most support actually. But your brain is going to feel like you're rewarding the one that is, you know, doing the naughty behavior and you're going and giving them emotional support. You're going to, it's going to feel awful. You're going to feel like I'm, I'm giving in, I'm rewarding, I'm reinforcing. And I really want you to frame it differently. You're not rewarding the bad behavior. That's not even part of the concept of this type of parenting at all. You're seeing their behavior as a clue that they have either big feelings that are being expressed or emotional needs that need to be met. Now, is it your job to meet their emotional needs? Yeah, kind of. You're their parent. Not all of their emotional needs, but they don't have the ability to self-regulate. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's just what it's, that's the truth. They need support. And so going to the kid who needs the support and you offer them some ways to express their emotions in healthier ways, and you give them some connection, and you help them feel seen, I promise their behavior will improve. You'll have less behavioral issues. They'll learn how to self-regulate better. So go to the aggressor instead of going to the victim. The last thing I see that parents do this, like kind of like uh, creates more problems, is consequencing everyone. So I never, I don't want you to be like a, um, a judge and a jury and that kind of thing in conflict. Cause you know, your sibling conflicts, they go way back. It's like four weeks ago, he took my, you know, my French toast. So then today I'm going to eat his French fries. Like you cannot keep track. And I understand that sometimes your kids need a consequence. The sibling set needs to experience the impact of their behavior, Right. Um, by saying, you know, we were, I was planning to go to the pool today, but I don't want to have to worry about you two drowning each other. So we're not going right. (laughs) Sometimes we do need to look at our humans and say like, these people cannot go do this thing that we thought we were going to do. We're not going or, you know, deciding for yourself, like, I don't have the capacity to take them on a walk after dinner and go look at the frogs because I'm so exhausted. If we go, I'm going to end up screaming at them. 
Like it's, they're going to fight and it's not going to work out. So you can then turn to them and say, hey, I love going to look at the frogs after dinner, but I want you to know I don't have the energy to do that because there's been so much fighting today and I don't want to have to worry about you fighting again on the, on the walk. So it's okay to have consequences for like kind of a, a hard day where everybody keeps, co- you know, being in conflict. The issue I want you to look out for is really thinking about maybe it's not all the children. Maybe it's one kid who needs the limit or needs more connection. And if you're taking away privileges for everybody and, and the other kids know that like we didn't do anything. It was him. It was her, right? I don't want you to scapegoat one kid. I want you to have eyes wide open. But noticing like, yeah, okay, this one kid has been dysregulated all day. And so instead, maybe you say, you know, if your partner's around or you have like a, a mother-in-law there or something like that, you can say, I was really hoping to go on the walk today, but um, you guys go with grandma and I'll stay back with so-and-so because I think they need to have some quiet time with me. Or you say, I am going to leave you here with grandma. It seems like you need some time by yourself and, you know, quiet time. I'm going to go with the other kids and we're going to go for the walk or with your brother or whatever. So it, it's true that sometimes you kind of need to take away privileges for everybody if, if you just don't have the capacity. But there are, I want you just to be careful that you're not, you know, making it, making the impact of their behavior of one person's behavior impact everybody. Because what happens when you do that is that you're not actually addressing the emotional need of the kid who's creating all the conflict. That person needs more support, that one individual. So I want you to, you know, go meet their need. But if you're consequencing everybody and you're, you know, blanket criticizing everybody's behavior, you're missing that opportunity to help that one kid. And then you're also breeding underlying resentment with the other children or the other child towards their sibling. Like because Johnny or whatever, that's a you know, generic name, but because Johnny keeps, you know, pushing me, I'm not able to get ice cream. So what do you think that's going to happen to the kid who didn't get the ice cream? They're going to feel so angry with Johnny. And the next thing you know, you've got that, like your quote unquote, like good one. That's not true. But like the one who's not dysregulated, who then like secret, uh, secret retaliation starts happening. So then that one kid comes in and he's, you know, secretly, you know, poking or whatever at Johnny. And, and then Johnny gets mad and Johnny pops up and he's dysregulated again. And all of a sudden you're back in that same cycle. So my suggestion is to what to do instead, right? Is to really, I want you to start to pay attention, but be slow to intervene. So what do I mean by that? When your kids have a conflict, if your instinct is to ignore it, or your instinct is to step right in. I want you to learn to sort of grow your, delay your response, but also don't ignore the behavior. 
I want you to look at the behavior. What is What the hell is happening between these people? What is this conflict even about? Like what's going on? And when you put your your attention to not just like, oh my God, fix it, change it, stop it, solve it, but like look at their kid's behavior and be thinking, okay, is this two kids who are overwhelmed, overstimulated and need a little break from each other or like need a distraction? Do I need to like play I spy with my little eye or do I need to turn on some music, start a dance party? Do I need to like pull everybody out of the pool for a few minutes and, and reset and reset and do snack? Like as the mom, you can look at that conflict and you can start to go, okay, wait, what do they need? Do they all need some support or is this one kid who keeps bugging the other kids? So we're not ignoring it. We're just not responding yet because I want you to be looking for the clues. Yeah, that's what you're trying to determine. Now, when you intervene, you're going to make a decision as a parent. Is this two kids having a conflict or is this one kid that needs a limit? That's what you're looking for. If you have two kids who have a conflict, right? Your clue is they're yelling at each other or, you know, they're really loud, whatever. Then you can decide, do I need to like change activity, change direction, or do they, do they need support? So how do you, how do you intervene? You can turn to them and you use the connection tool. I hear loud voices. You two sound mad at each other. Or I see you pushing on him and you pushing back. Are you guys feeling overwhelmed? So we're narrating what we see and we're naming the emotion. So we're recognizing right then that this is an emotional conversation. This is an emotional conflict. And you're using their behavior as a clue. Then you set a limit. I'll listen to you both as long as you speak quietly and one at a time. Happy to help as long as, and then whatever the circumstances, I'm happy to help as long as the two of you sit on your bottoms. I'm happy to help, you know, solve this conflict as long as. Oh, nope, nope, you're not sitting. Okay, looks like you guys are going to just change activity. Looks like the two of you need to come out of the pool for a few minutes. Looks like the two of you need to sit in your separate rooms for a few minutes. So you're offering your willingness to support them to solve their problems so they continue doing whatever it is that they want to be doing, playing, playing, playing games or whatever it is. And if they don't keep your condition, you change activity, you separate, you stop that game. Now, if they're able to calm and talk to you, you get to say, um, okay, I'll listen to you both as long as you speak kindly and one at a time. And then you turn and you say, Sarah, you go first, right? Or, you know, Kylie, you go first, whatever the names are. And then you just decide who goes first. I usually pick the one who's the most regulated, most quiet. Um, or the one who needs to talk, whatever. It doesn't matter. And then you listen and then you listen to the other one. And you say, okay, so you want to sit here and you want to sit here. Two kids, one chair. You wanted to go first. You wanted to go first. Only one set of stairs, right? You're going to narrate and name the situation. And then you can say, okay, so what do you guys want to do about it? How do you want to solve this problem? By the time you get to this point, usually it's like, oh, she can just go or it's fine or whatever. Like they'll, they're, 
the, it's not emotionally charged. You're not yelling at them. They're not getting, it's not that fun anymore. It's not that interesting. It's kind of boring. Solving problems is boring. They would rather just go play. Great, go play. But because you've paused and you've reflected and you've given them a chance to narrate some feelings, they will go play easier. Is that making some sense? So once your kids decide how to move on or move forward, they reset, they start again, they go play. So you're not solving it. You're not yelling at them. You're not exasperated. You're just coming in and connecting and then helping them solve their problem. Now, if you have, they, they can't figure it out. Like I said, you just say, hey, it seems like you guys aren't able to work this out. We're going to take a separation break. You go there, you go there, and we'll talk again in five minutes. So you're just going to separate your kids sometimes. You're going to say, you know what? In this family, everyone stays safe. This argument is not safe. I don't want to worry about anybody getting hurt. You go there, you go there. Be the leader. Be the guide. You don't have to be a participant in the conflict. You are the cool head, right? You're the, the, the guru in the moment, right? Don't be in it with them. And so then when they're separate, I would recommend going to each one. Don't just set, stick them in a timeout. That's not what we're talking about here. We're just like taking a break. And then going and saying like, what's going on? You seem like you're having a lot of trouble with your brother. You seem like you're having trouble with your sister. You know, what's happening? And then let them process some of their negative emotion. Maybe they have, it's not her. I'm just so bored. Whatever it is, give them some chance to talk and you do your compassionate listening. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Of course, yes, you get to feel that way. It is hard. Summer is different. Yeah, of course. Yeah, And then after a bit, you get to say, okay, so what do you want to do? Do you want to play by yourself? Do you want to go back and try again? And you move forward. Just having the three, four, five minute conversation with you, that's connection that will fill their cup up for possibly all day. So I encourage you to take a beat when the kids are separated and go into each one and talk, okay, what's going on? Oh, it sounds like maybe we do need to talk about this as a family. Why don't we come back together and let's work this out? And then you, you know, you guys can each speak one by one and you do a little conflict resolution. Now, the, some, I just wanted to give you some limit setting examples, right? Like I just kind of gave you a couple of sentences like you two sound mad at each other. I'll listen as long as you speak quietly. Uh, You are welcome to play with each other as long as you both take turns. I see two angry children who are about to hurt each other. We're going to take a separation break. We'll talk about this in five minutes. I also love closing areas, rooms, and activities. I will just go in to an area or like, you know, pool, trampoline, playroom, bedrooms, kitchen, kitchen table, anything like that. And I'll say, this area is closed. You can play here once I'm not worried about your arguing and yelling. Just thinking about like when you're at, I, like I, we live near Disney, not near Disneyland, but like in Southern California. And sometimes I'll be there and they'll like start closing off areas for the parade or whatever. And it's just very obvious, like you can't go in that spot anymore, right? Like the, bo- the people have decided you have to move, you know, and they put up some boundaries and then you have to go around. 
You have to go do something else. I want you to think about it sometimes like that. Like, it's not like you have to punish your kids. Like, oh, you guys are being so naughty. You don't get to play with this toy anymore. It's like, no. Hey, this area is not working for us. And so I'm going to close this room off. I'm going to close this area off. And it's just le- neutral leadership. Um, you can also just set limits like, hey, you two can sit at this table as long as you stop spitting on each other <laughs> or whatever. So you can also let them know they can continue to play in an area or to do something as long as they stop that specific behavior. And then if they keep it up, you just go, oh, looks like you guys have to leave the table. Now I know probably you're thinking, what if they don't go? What if they don't go? You know, no problem. You move. And then later when, you know, they they ask you to do something or whatever it is, you can just be like, no, I don't have the energy for that because earlier today... I was like dealing with all your conflicts and I don't, not able to like, you know, take you guys to ice cream now or no, I'm not able to sit by the pool and watch you or no, we're not going to go to the pool. I don't want to have to worry about that behavior. You have a delayed impact when you're, and then your kids start to learn like, oh, okay, it's in my best interest and in this family's best interest for us to get along because when we get along, Mom has more energy. Mom has more capacity. Mom has more patience to go do fun stuff. And that becomes the external motivator. So we're internally helping them with their feelings. And then we're externally showing them that their behavior has impacts, either great impacts or negative impacts. So you can just, you know, say to your kids, hey, when you guys have a lot of conflict, I'm happy to help and support you, but it does create an energy drain for me. And so I don't have the energy to read books tonight. I don't have the energy to get out all of the sewing supplies. I don't have the patience for that. Or I don't want to have to worry about when I do that, you guys argue about it. So I'm not going to do that. So you can set personal boundaries and have impacts on, you know, your kids but, but it's true, right? Like if you've had a lot of conflict all day over everything, the last thing you want to do is like get slime out. Like go, you know, my kids loved Rainbow Loom years ago. And I was like, no, I don't want to have rubber bands all over my living room. We're not doing that. Absolutely not. I do not have the energy to do that. So you get to show your kids that their behavior has an impact on you, you don't have to shame them or complain about it. It's a little more neutral, a little bit more matter of fact than that. All right. So as a wrap up, I want you to understand, of course, your kids are going to fight this summer. Of course they are. Based on all the reasons I said earlier, of course. So when it happens, I don't want you to feel so like surprised and dejected. Kind of expect it. And then know that the more connection you offer to them, the more emotional support you offer to them, the easier your day will be. And I know you're burned out. I know you're tired. I know you're overwhelmed. And so that means you need to get some time away from your kids. And in the Calm Mama Club, I just gave one of my clients a get out of bedtime free card, you know, like a monopoly type of thing, get out of jail. And I was like, you need to cash this in with your husband tonight. Like you need a break. And so I want you to take some time away from your children. I said that last week as well. 
It's like in the summer, you need more time off than you typically need and it's harder to get. So you need to really be proactive about it. Um, so the more calm you are, the more like filled up you are, the easier it will be for you to see clearly. Is this one kid who needs some connection and some support? Or is this two kids who are burned out from each other and need a break? So having more emotional bandwidth for you, more capacity will make it easier for you to parent them in this way. And then you will have less conflict. That's the best news. That's what I want to leave you with is that when you don't just solve all the problems, but you actually guide your kids to solve the problems, they learn to solve them for themselves and sibling fighting lessens. The, 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 when I intervene with my kids and I use these conflict resolution skills and guide them towards understanding that they have big feelings and they have conflict and they can compromise and work it out, when they do that, when I teach them how to do that, they have a lot less sibling conflict or when it comes up, I don't have to be involved. It doesn't escalate. So the good news is that these are strategies that will help you not just this summer, but next summer and the summer after and the summer after and every vacation and every road trip and every winter break. Practice um, helping your kids solve their own problems and they will learn to solve them themselves and have less of them. Isn't that great? Okay. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sure you did because it's just chock full of so much good stuff. And if your only takeaway is, I think she said I shouldn't do bedtime and take a break. Yep. That's enough. If that's all you take away, then that is exactly what you need this week. So I hope you get some time to rest. I hope you get some conflict-free um, days with your kids and that you get some really gooey, yummy, sweet fun with your children this summer. Um, okay, mamas, I will talk to you next week. Have a great week.